I say to him, like, if you can't get rid of these add-ons, I think we're done here. Like we've got dogs waiting for us at home and this wasn't what you promised over the phone. And I'm just really disappointed that you guys conduct your business this way. And so that is buyer strategy number five. You got to be prepared to leave and actually mean it because they will sense it if you don't mean it. It is their job to sense whether or not you are ready to leave. And we were ready to leave. Welcome back to another episode of The Daily Churn. As you may have guessed from the intro, today we are going to continue right where we left off last time, back at the car dealership and getting ready to leave. So where do you go from there? Once Salesman 2 realized that we were ready to go, he tried a new tactic, which is let me get Salesman 1. So if you recall from the previous episode, there were two salesmen involved. Salesman 1 it was the one that I had talked to over the phone and confirmed all of the pricing. Salesman 2 was the only salesman that we ended up dealing with once we arrived at the dealership because Salesman 1 was busy. And so we've spent probably two, three hours with Salesman 2 at this point. And uh, now he's grabbing Salesman 1 and I see them chatting for a while and kind of wondered, you know, what are, what are they chatting about? And I actually have a, a theory on that, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit later. But Salesman 2 grabs Salesman 1, the guy that we spoke to over the phone. So he comes over and it's our first time meeting him and he's very apologetic about the whole situation. Like he really lays on the good cop attitude very thick. And, you know, essentially what they've done there is they've just rotated to a new good cop because Salesman 2 at this point is tarnished, right? Because we were frustrated with him. He's already wasted a lot of our time. He's the one that's presented all of these eight add-ons. And so as much as he still wanted to be the good guy, he knows that his reputation with us at this point is gone, which is why he tapped in Salesman 1 for a reset. And Salesman 1 says the, uh, the things you'd expect him to say. You know, I, I thought this was the price. I'm really sorry. But the manager says, we can't sell it for that price. You know, I, I didn't know that they weren't going to let me sell it for the price. So the pretty standard strategies of playing dumb and deferring blame so that he can remain the new good cop. And at that point, I think it was a choice for us on whether to reciprocate that or go into like, I don't know, like a full Karen mode. And, you know, I typically try and steer away from from Karen mode as much as possible. And so I decided to reciprocate, you know, and really lean into the buyer strategy number four, which is to hold them accountable to standards. And so I tell him, we know it's not your fault. You seem like a really honest, nice guy. I know you wouldn't lie to us, etc. But at the same time, we're also being very firm that the price that you told us over the phone is what we expect to leave here with. And so I think this is worthy of its own buyer strategy bullet point on the list, which is be firm. The same way that the dealers have the strategy of being very firm and saying everything is non-negotiable, on the buyer end, you also need to be firm about what it is you expect. And also, when you say you're going to leave, be firm about it. Don't like kind of dilly-dally and be like, well, you know, if you can't do this price, I think uh, maybe we'll have to like leave. No, be firm and say that, hey, this is the price you committed to. If you aren't able to meet it, we're going to leave. Right. So don't leave ambiguity in it. And so that is buyer strategy number six. 
So after a little back and forth of this, Salesman 1 gets up to go talk to the manager to see what he can do. And as you might have guessed, another half hour goes by while we wait and we see that Salesman 1 is talking to Salesman 2. They're chatting for quite a while and then they go talk to the manager. And eventually he comes back and there are now only two add-ons left, whereas before there were six. So through this back and forth, we were able to get another four add-ons removed. And now there were just two big add-ons left, which were the two two-year protection packages, one for the windshield, one for the interior. And I think they were both $800 MSRP each. So quite a hefty sum between the two of them. And if we decided to just walk away with those two, we'd end up with the car at essentially MSRP because the car was discounted from MSRP. But then with these two protection packages, it ends up negating those discounts. So the interesting thing here is that price-wise, we were actually pretty down for this because we started the week after doing all of this research, willing to pay maybe five to $800 above MSRP and expecting to wait two months or more for a car. So that was sort of our expectation when the week started. It wasn't until we found this dealership selling a car for below MSRP that it even occurred to us that we could get a car for below MSRP without having to wait. So even with those two add-ons, it was still clearly a win for us, right, from a price perspective. And so that's where I think buyer strategy number seven comes in, which is you should know your price and you should know your limit. Know what you want out of this deal. Know where the break-even point is for you before you go to the dealership because that's going to help you make better decisions so that you know when you're up or you know when you're down, kind of like gambling. And also like gambling, if you know you're up and you want to keep playing, you got to make sure you don't show it. You keep playing as if you haven't met your price point yet. And so on my end, you know, I still wanted to push things a little further. Like I felt like there was still room to get this lower. And at this point, we're pretty familiar with the game. We've been here for three hours. We've done four or five of these back and forths. And so, yeah, we, we play along. We, we act disappointed. We talk about how disappointed we are with how they're handling all of this. You know, we talk about how we've got our dogs at home and that we wish they were just upfront with us in the beginning versus making us drive two hours round trip. And at the same time, you know, we're, we're firm. We're like, hey, I know you guys need to make money, but this price isn't going to work for us. And as we say that, we start grabbing our phone and our wallet and we shuffle a little bit in the seats. I mean, it really is all theater, right? And that's where we get to buyer strategy number eight, which is lean into the theater. Whether you like it or not, it is all just a performance. They're acting. And so you can choose either to act back or show your cards. And showing your cards usually means the negotiation's over. So again, I know a lot of us aren't that comfortable acting. It's not something we do very often un unless you're an actor, but it is something that I think makes a big difference. So you can even just kind of role play with your spouse or friend before the dealership, you know, or in front of the mirror and just have your game face on and, and try to think of it more like poker than like an honest transaction. And so as expected, he makes us a final proposal because the writing's been on the wall now on what that next offer is going to be. And it's the one that we were all just gradually moving towards, which is, he says, 
There's no promises, but if I could get the manager to remove one of these two add-ons, you'll be happy with the price. And again, we dilly-dally a little bit. I look at my wife, we pretend to debate it because you got to keep up the act because nothing's final until you sign the thing. And so after a little bit of that, we concede like, hey, yeah, man, you know, we just want to get home, ideally with a car. If you can remove it, we'll take it. Otherwise, we're good. We're just going to go home. And so salesman one gets up and goes again to see the manager and this time comes back in only 10 minutes. Amazing how quickly things can happen at certain parts of the deal and how slowly things can happen in other parts. But he tells me his manager agreed to let the car go with just the one add-on and all we need to do is sign it. And we're feeling pretty relieved because it's, I think, almost 8.30 p.m. now. But the saga is over, like we won, right? Not quite. You should probably have figured out by now that nothing at the dealership is quite that easy because what he brought back was a new invoice sheet that was formatted and styled completely differently. Like this must be their official one that people sign, whereas the other ones that he's given us for the last few hours have all just been their negotiation one. So this format is very different, but he assures us that he took off the add-on and P2, my wife, was was ready to sign and Salesman 1 was ready and kind of hovering over us. But this new format, like it really throws me off and it kind of triggers my Turner Spidey sense a little bit. You know, I'm mentally pretty exhausted at this point, but something smells off and I asked him to wait while I bust out my phone calculator just so I can verify the numbers. Totally just kind of a, a gut reaction to the fact that the final total felt a little bit higher than it should be, but it's super hard to tell because there's so much going on with this new invoice sheet. It shows a starting MSRP, it shows the dealer add-on, then it shows a new MSRP with the add-on, Then it includes a $500 dealership adjustment fee, which we knew going in because that also showed up online, but it didn't show up anywhere on the negotiation invoice. The $500 fee only now just showed up. And if you're not aware what the dealership adjustment fee is, it literally is just an extra fee that they've tacked on because the market right now is crazy. They're just like, hey, we can mark up this car an extra $500. And it's pretty rare to find a car that doesn't have that. So that was on there now, along with title and registration fees, which were also new on this invoice compared to the previous invoice we've been looking at for the last three hours. Then it has like a final out the door price on the car. But nowhere on this invoice does it show the $1,500 discount off of MSRP. But the starting MSRP that they do show was lower. So I'm thinking maybe it's already factored in to the MSRP at the top. Similarly, the $500 discount for getting the quote online also isn't listed. But again, I'm thinking maybe that's also now part of that beginning MSRP that they've just taken it off without mentioning it anywhere. And I'm not going to lie, it was a lot to digest after already spending that much time at the dealership. And there was definitely pressure to sign and be done with it because they'd already closed. They closed at 8 p.m. So we were now one of the last tables there. My wife was ready to go home. The salesman clearly wanted to be done as well. And even though I knew I was doing math as slow as like a fourth grader, I was like, you know, what's another 10 minutes here while I slowly add up these numbers? 
And what made it even harder was I didn't have my printouts that I brought because I'd given it to Salesman 2, who had shown it to his manager, and they never returned them. And so I'm also on my phone trying to pull up the email that I used for the printouts so I could show him the discounts that were supposed to be on the price. And honestly, it's just not as effective pulling that stuff up on a phone. It's like kind of a small screen. It's harder to see the numbers break down. I'm trying to track down the email. And then it's harder to show the salesman. Like you show him a phone and then your phone goes to sleep after 10, 15 seconds. And now you have to go unlock your phone. It really added some logistical hurdles, you know, and I really wished I had printed out multiple copies so that I'd have a backup. But luckily, after what felt like a really long time, I was finished with the calculations on my phone and I was right. The $500 e-quote discount was completely gone. So they did reduce the MSRP by $1,500, even though it didn't show a line item, but it didn't include the extra $500 from the e-quote. And they definitely tried to just slip that past us at the very last minute. And so that's sort of where we get a dealer and a buyer strategy. So dealer strategy number eight is never stop trying to extract more money. Every stage of the process is an opportunity to get more money. And so the buyer strategy number nine here is never let your guard down, especially at the end when you're tired and you think you've won. You've got to keep your guard up because they're going to keep throwing things at you to try and get more money. And for a split second there, it almost worked. We were one poor decision away from donating $500 to the dealership for no reason. So having figured out that it was missing that discount, I tell salesman one to add that back and that the manager has our printouts that show that there should be a $500 discount and that it was one of the first things I told salesman two about when we came in. And at the same time, you know, I'm kind of acting the part of the uh, disapproving adults where we're like, hey, we see what you did there and you should be very ashamed of yourself kind of a look, right? Because it is all theater. And we actually got quite lucky here because they actually found the printouts and had them versus saying that they'd lost the printouts, which I'm actually quite surprised they didn't try and pull that of just being like, hey, I don't know what happened to the printouts. I don't see this discount that you're talking about which would have been a whole nother headache. And maybe they were just getting tired too and they wanted to close the dealership down. But anyways, we see Salesman 1 speaking to Salesman 2 for a long time, just looking at these printouts. And then they both go to speak to the manager. And after, I think, 15-ish minutes, so things are getting speedier here at the dealership. Salesman 1 comes back looking kind of gruff, like a little standoffish, very different from the super extra genial, nice guy that he was trying to present just like an hour earlier. And he gives us the, the new invoice without saying a word. He just puts it in front of us. And I see that the MSRP is now $500 lower. So quick pop quiz, you know, why do we think that Salesman 1 is unhappy? My guess is that the $500 that he just discounted might have come out of his commission. Because he was either grumpy because he was trying to pull a fast one and kind of disappointed that it didn't work, or he genuinely forgot or didn't know about that $500 e-quote discount because we'd only been talking to Salesman 2 about it at this point. And at this stage in the negotiation, 
the add-ons were closed. We've moved past that stage. So he had run out of levers to make up for that $500 by adding more add-ons, right? We're past that now, which is something we'll talk about a little bit later too when we talk about just general advice when visiting a dealership where dealers have many different levers they can use to screw you. And so the less information you give them, the less levers they have. And that's really applicable for things like financing and trade-ins. But We'll get into that in a little bit. But my theory is that he hadn't seen these printouts personally until now. Like he didn't realize we had such irrefutable proof on hand, right? Because these printouts were very explicit listing the discounts. Like he works at AutoNation. He can't refute the discounts from AutoNation.com. And so paper really matters here. And so expanding on that buyer strategy, number one of documenting and printing everything, I would highly recommend bringing backups, paper backups, because I don't think we would have gotten that extra $500 if they had said, oh, I I lost the paper or if we didn't have that paper printout to begin with. So print everything, print prices that you see elsewhere, print quotes from their site, print Carvana prices, print email messages, as much documentation as you can, and then make a copy so that when you give it to them, you still have a copy on hand. So we're looking at the updated final invoice from Salesman 1 and things are looking good. Everything matches. We have that extra add-on, but we've accepted it because we're still getting the price below MSRP. It's now 9 p.m. and price negotiations are done. And we, we sign the final invoice and we're like, all right, let's get the car. Let's go home. Nope, we are not yet done because now we move into the next round where we have to wait for the financing guy. But we are financing. We're paying cash. Well, you still need to see the financing guy. So we wait for the financing guy and we wait for probably another 20 or so minutes. And a guy in a a crisp white shirt comes over because I think that is their financing guy uniform. Like all the salesmen are just in a a polo tee, whereas the financing guys are in a button down white shirt. And we tell him we really need to get home now. And he says he'll try and get through this as fast as possible. And we're like, what is there even left to do? And by now it's, I think, 9.30 p.m. And he was off work like an hour and a half ago. And he has pictures of his dogs too in his little office. And he knows we're in a rush. And to his credit, it only took us 30 minutes with him instead of what would have taken one to two hours. And you might be wondering, well, what even took 30 minutes? Because it wasn't signing the paperwork. Signing the paperwork took about five minutes. He printed it and then we signed it and we were done. What was the other 25 minutes? Well, he literally had a sheet of 20 different other add-ons that he was required to ask if we wanted. And he had to initial on each of them saying that he offered them to us and we declined them. So definitely a checklist from upper management being like, hey, you need to make sure you try and upsell the customer on every single one of these 20. And I want to make sure you did it by making the customer sign that they don't want each of them. So absolutely crazy. And the kind of things on there were like extended warranties, extended maintenance, various insurances like tire insurance, tire protection, battery replacement insurance, paint insurance for scratches, more windshield insurance options, so many different iterations, and we declined them all. And he didn't try to explain each one of them 
or try and convince us why we needed each one of them. And I definitely get the feeling that the usual process that they do is explain each one of these individually and try and tell you why it's a great deal. That said, you know, despite him saying that like, hey, I'll, I'll get through this as fast as I can and being pretty good about just signing off on everything on that add-on sheet, he did still give it a try because dealer strategy number eight was never stop trying, right? And so he asks us like, just for my own information, you know, why don't you want any of these insurances? And I'm like, hey, you know, it's cheaper for me to do my own repairs than to have a maintenance plan or to insure the tires, etc. And then he's like, you know, I do my own repairs too, but here's why I still get these insurances. Uh, because sometimes I forget, I forget to change my battery or forget to like do this oil change. And then it ends up costing me money in the long run. And he kind of goes into a spiel of why, even though he can do his own repairs, he still pays for dealer insurance. And at that point, I was just ready to to end this. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm I'm from Europe. I'm from the UK. Over in Europe, we don't believe in insurance. We don't believe in extended warranties, which is true. Like extended warranties and insurance is very much an American thing. You will not get somebody in Europe to buy an extended warranty on their TV. They'll just be like, why would I pay you extra? I'll take good care of my TV. And if it breaks, I'll either fix it or buy a new TV. I'm not going to give you $200 right now in case I break my TV. So I tell him that and I tell him that like the reason your dealership sells these is because it makes the dealership money. If these insurance packages actually saved the buyer money, then the dealership wouldn't sell them because it would cost dealership money. And um, at that point, I think he kind of sensed that uh, we were very much done with this dealership and him. And I felt like he could have actually pushed harder if it wasn't almost 10 p.m. now. And yeah, he he sort of just, I guess, let us off easy by only spending 20, 25 minutes on the sales pitch. Because I guess quick segue to explain just the structure of a car dealership, which is that it's essentially the, the three circles of dealership hell, right? Which is you have car sales, then you have trade-ins, then you have financing. And so we were extremely lucky because at this point, the four hours that we spent were just in the, the first circle of hell, right? Just with car sales. If we had trade-ins and had to go into the second circle of hell, man, there was a family across from us that was just absolutely getting bent over on their trade-in price. They were negotiating their trade-in price for as long as we were doing our sales price. The whole time we were at that table they were at the table next to us arguing about their trade-in price. And honestly, I, I'm not sure what happened to them. Hopefully they left in one piece and got the car or got their trade-in done. I kind of doubt it though, because their salesman brought over the trade-in guy to the table and they were just having this lengthy debate about the value of the car that they were trading in. And the dealership trade-in guy was going to great lengths to justify why their car wasn't worth as much as the price that they wanted. Like the guy at one point even left to quote-unquote check Carvana for 45 minutes. And he ended up coming back with even more BS about why the Carvana prices were inflated. Like he's like, hey, the car that you have isn't a four-wheel drive. All the ones I see of your model on Carvana has a four-wheel drive. Yours is in a color that people don't really want. The ones on Carvana are the more in-demand colors. And of course, the family didn't bring a laptop or printouts. So they had no way to really disprove anything that the trade-in guy was saying, right? 
And so things were actually kind of getting quite heated in that table because it was like a mom, a dad, and then I think their two sons and they were older and then a couple kids. It was a whole family. And the trade-in guy was definitely trying to just bulldoze them into a lower trade-in value. And the family was arguing back, but they didn't have any proof to substantiate anything, right? It's just one person's word against another. And they were taking more of the, I guess, the Karen route rather than being tactful with their negotiations. And so it was getting heated and I didn't see them make much progress, but they were there a very long time. And so TLDR, buyer strategy number 10, do not trade in your car at the dealership. Sell your car elsewhere first, because unless you're a masochist, it is not worth the extra three, four hours of negotiating at the dealership for a crappy trade-in price because the dealer won't give you a price that's better than private parties or Carvana, right? Like they have to make money. And so if for some reason you do have to do it at the dealership, just don't, just don't do it at the dealership. You can get a better price elsewhere, especially now with all of these online options like Carvana offering these inflated prices. Similarly with financing, Financing is the third circle of hell, like buyer strategy number 11. Don't get financing at a dealership. Like trade-ins, the dealer makes money from financing. So you will get a better interest rate from your bank or your credit union, and you will spend hours negotiating your interest rate and your down payment and your monthly payments if you decide to do it at the dealership instead. So why torture yourself at the dealership? Why spend two, three extra hours negotiating financing when you can just go to your credit union and figure it out ahead of time. Dealers are not going to give you a better deal. Their goal is to make money from financing. So after witnessing all of these circles of hell at the dealership, we were very glad to have only had to spend time really in one of them, although the financing guy was able to still suck away like 30 minutes of our time. But in the end, we were done with him too and we signed off on all the paperwork and yeah, we were basically done other than having to come back tomorrow and give him a cashier's check and pick up the car. And at this point, it was, I think, just past 10 p.m. And we were both completely spent. You know, we head out of the dealership and both salesmen who've stayed behind very congenially shake both of our hands on the way out and smile and congratulate us on the purchase. Like they didn't just spend five hours trying to fuck us over because they're psychopaths. And uh, yeah, that was the end of our dealership saga. And we'd walked away with the car. So the question that I asked myself and my wife on the long drive home was like, was that a win? Like, did we did we win? Because it I think on paper we may have won, but it also doesn't feel like we won. And I guess it sort of depends on how you look at it. Honestly, I think there's quite a few things that I would do differently. Like this whole car dealership uh, experience is kind of blowing up on Reddit recently. Like I've seen at least two different posts make the front page of Reddit about dealerships and car buying because it is really kind of a hot topic right now because so many people now are having to go to a dealership for the first time because the price at a dealership is better than buying used sometimes. And they're experiencing this craziness. And there's a lot of people providing feedback on things that they do or things that have worked for them. And there are a couple pretty, pretty interesting ones. And they're both variations on buyer strategy number five, which was be prepared to leave and mean it. 
The first one of those is kind of an extreme hardball version of being prepared to leave, which is that you show up at a dealership with very hard limits. Like, this is my price and this is how much time I have. So I want a car for $30,000 and I want this deal done in 30 minutes. If I don't have either of those completed, I will leave. And yeah, these are from, from real comments of people having like fathers who, who've gone to dealerships who have done this and have left with a car. And it is a little bit tougher in today's environment because you lack some of that leverage given how much demand there is. Like, okay, well, if you leave, someone else will take the car. But at the same time, you know, being able to complete a deal in 30 minutes is to everyone's advantage, right? The salesman didn't have to invest five, six hours with you. And if they had a car on hand that they wanted to sell that wasn't spoken for, they might still go for it. But the key with this strategy is that you really do need to be ready to leave and be ready to not get your car. Like some dealerships will just be like, no, we're good. And so you have to be willing to go to multiple dealerships. And also you kind of need a thick skin, right? Like you need to be ready for some of the scowls and the looks you might get from the various salesmen or managers because they don't like to be the ones on the receiving end of like a hardball negotiation like that. You also have to be pretty flexible with what you want. You can't go in there and be like, I want the orange Toyota Tundra with these packages for this price. You know, it's more like I have $30,000. Show me what I can get for $30,000 in the next 30 minutes. And so that's that's one option. You know, I don't know if I have like, uh, for lack of a better term, the balls to do that, to just go into a dealership and demand it. But maybe that could be a good a good learning experience to try. But the softer approach than that, which could still be quite effective, is to bail if they pull any tricks. Like if they are taking too long, which in our case, sometimes they'd leave us alone for almost an hour, you tell them, I'm leaving in 30 minutes. Or if they show you add-ons, like eight add-ons, you tell them, this is the price, or I'm leaving now. So you essentially eliminate that back and forth where they dilly-dally to their manager, and they take off two add-ons and they go back and then they take off two more, you can cut that off early. And the key here is to actually leave. So if you say, I'm leaving if this isn't done in 30 minutes, or I'm leaving if these add-ons aren't all taken off, and he comes back with still four add-ons, your next step here is to actually leave. So stop the negotiation game completely. No more back and forths and just leave, just walk out and actually walk out. And the beautiful thing here with this strategy is that if they did really want to get you to that final price that you wanted or remove the add-ons that you wanted, their salesman or their manager or even their GM will call you after you leave. Like your phone will blow up because again, the most powerful tactic you have is to leave. And so when you actually leave, not just threaten to leave, that's how they know for sure that you're serious and they'll do everything they can in their power to bring you back. And in hindsight, this really is a strategy that I wish we did earlier. So instead of the back and forth negotiations, which can and did work for us, I would have just cut that off and not have spent five hours. It could have taken an hour or two where we just left and then we waited for them to call us back. So that was my, my learning from reading other people's comments uh, on Reddit about car buying. But there was also uh, another new idea that I had just kind of reflecting on our experience at the dealership that I haven't really seen anyone talk about anywhere else. And obviously it's untested, but this might be something that I try doing in the future too if we run into 
another AutoNation type dealership. So the new idea I had is sort of an expansion on buyer strategy number one of documenting and printing everything, which is not just document everything beforehand and bring all the printouts, etc., but document all the bullshit that's happening during your visit. Take pictures of the invoice sheets that they keep bringing you with these crazy add-ons and tell them you'll be posting all of this on Yelp or Google and tell them you'll be letting the GM know that their salespeople have been lying to you this whole time. Tell them you'll be reporting them to the dealership association. You know, especially if you have proof, like an online printout of the price. Yeah, get the names of the salespeople who committed to that price and tell them that you'll be publicly posting the fact that they're lying to you right now and essentially committing fraud by falsely advertising a price to get you in that they're now pretending isn't valid. And if you want to take it a step even further, take pictures of the salesman, take video of them, you know, and say that you're going to post this whole experience on TikTok or Instagram, because that kind of thing matters to people where they still have to protect their reputation online, right? And it's the, the classic under the flashlight, the cockroaches will scurry away, right? And I kind of wish we took pictures of the various iterations of the add-on sheet that they kept showing us. It would have been fun to look over. And so, yeah, this is kind of a different approach on the uh, hardball strategy, where now you're just like, I'm going to take all of this public, right? And it will get awkward, I'm sure. So you would have to be prepared for that. But I could see it really working because especially nowadays, you've got like GMs of dealerships responding to Google reviews that are like one or two stars being like, really sorry that happened. Please reach out because you got to remember too, like the managers and the general manager of the dealership, they're all definitely in on the scam. Like the bullshit that happens comes from the top down. It's 100% a toxic culture that's being perpetuated from the general manager all the way down, but they can't own it. Like they can't actually publicly acknowledge that they're scamming people. And so if you post all of this publicly, the GM at least has to pretend like he's a decent human being and help you out. And so they want to avoid the kinds of uh, scandals that could result, especially given that they know people check Google reviews and TikTok and Instagram and all of that stuff now when they visit a dealership. And so, yeah, that's something that I've been kind of mulling over. And I, I wonder how that would have worked if we tried that next time we go to an, an auto nation. So if you've tried that before and had success or it blew up in your face, um, definitely leave a comment and let me know. But this kind of leads us into the final buyer strategy that I'll share, which is avoid big franchises and chains. Because with these big franchises like AutoNation, there is zero accountability. It's not that manager's name on the sign. It's AutoNation. You can shit on AutoNation. And at the end of the day, like it's a corporation. People have been shitting on McDonald's for decades, but we all still get McDonald's, right? And so these big franchises, because of the lack of transparency and accountability, it really breeds the worst kinds of sales behavior because volume is all that matters to AutoNation. Commission is all that matters to their salespeople. You as an individual do not matter other than the fact that you bring in sales and profits for them. Whereas if you go to Benjamin Franklin's dealership, he cares what you're saying about him. The terrible tactics that they employ will reflect on him 
And so going for the smaller local dealerships may get you better results, especially if you want to employ the tactic of, hey, I'm going to document everything you're doing to me here publicly. And maybe at the end of the day, it's possible that not all of these big franchises are as bad as this particular auto nation was. And I could see that being true in the sense that like my theory for why we got worked extra hard at this auto nation was because we had two different salesmen. So salesman one and salesman two were likely splitting the commission. And salesman one maybe would have actually sold the car for the price that he confirmed on the phone. Like if we were to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he was going to sell us the car for that price. But because he was busy with another customer, he enlisted salesman two. And to enlist another salesman to do work for you, well, you've got to split commission with them, right? And maybe salesman one told him, hey, whatever extra that you can get from them via add-ons is yours, which would explain why salesman two threw on eight extra add-ons. He was like, I got to make this worth my time. Let's see how many of these I can make stick. And it sort of also explains why they had such a lengthy discussion with each other near the end of the negotiation, because they were probably negotiating with each other on how to structure the commission with these add-ons getting removed. And, you know, it kind of explains why they really fought to at least keep one add-on on there so that Salesman 2 at least gets something for his time rather than eating into Salesman 1's base commission for selling the car. So that's sort of my theory, but you know, it's it's overall just a messed up system, right? Because it is all commissions based. And honestly, I'm seriously also considering in the future, maybe getting a Tesla just to avoid all of this. If I have to buy another a car, maybe it is a Tesla because there is no negotiation, right? Tesla is the manufacturer and the salesperson. It's like buying something on Amazon. The price you see is the price you get. And, you know, after all of this, kind of just circling back to a question that I asked in the previous episode, which is how do they get away with all of this? Like, how does this auto nation that I went to still have over a thousand four star reviews on Google? And I was seriously perplexed because part of the reason why we went to this auto nation was because we're like, oh, the reviews are pretty good on Google, but I didn't really dive in or dig into what the reviews were saying. And from skimming some of the recent ones, my guess is that most people going to this auto nation are getting robbed blind and they don't know or they don't care. Because if you didn't care about getting the best deal, these were all very nice people. It was a very nice facility and everyone was extremely friendly. The one-star reviews, though, are where you kind of see some of the truth of what we experienced, which are people saying like, oh, yeah, I got worked over in the financing room. They doubled my monthly payment with all of these add-ons they added. And I didn't realize how bad it was until I got home or someone else being like, yeah, I wish I sold my trade-in elsewhere first because I got a terrible price for it. Even someone being like, the online quote doesn't match what they charged me when I got there. All of those things we witnessed firsthand. And it's the norm, not the exception, but only if you're paying attention. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that Americans are so unfamiliar with this kind of blatant lie to your face scamming, where the person is being extremely nice, but also extremely deceptive. And so it's almost like, like robbing a baby, you know, if you're not expecting it and you don't know it happened, everyone's still happy at the end. 
And, you know, I think we live in this bubble where the people we know are the kind of people that listen to this podcast or the kind of people that complain about dealerships on Reddit. But that isn't most people. And you guys know this from churning, which is that our bubble makes money off of credit card companies rather than credit card companies making money off of us. The people that carry a balance and pay 20% interest are the ones who fund our credit card bonuses. And so that's most people. And most people will love how nice everyone is at the auto nation. They'll love the massive selection of cars. They'll love they're able to get the color and the model they wanted in this crazy car economy. You know, they loved that AutoNation delivered the car to their home the next day, which actually happened. There was a Google review where someone posted a picture with the AutoNation sales agent who delivered the car. And they don't really focus as much on the details, right? What's another few thousand dollars when you're already paying 30, 40, 50 grand? Maybe that extended warranty and extended maintenance. Yeah, maybe that does sound kind of useful. Like, yeah, I did crack my windshield that one time driving up the mountain. Maybe I should get the two-year windshield protection. Like, I want to keep this car for a while. So the interior protection package kind of makes sense, right? Like unlimited battery and tire replacement for 10 years. I mean, I don't know how to change the battery or the tires. So maybe I should get that. And before you know it, you end up with a car with more toppings than there is ice cream. And you're feeling pretty good. You know, you're running on a sugar high as you open up Google and you give them four stars and you're like, thanks for all the toppings, AutoNation. I do love me some toppings. But at the end of the day, I've, I've at this point, you know, a month or two later, have made peace with, with the process and it cost us five hours and a small part of my soul. But at the same time, I'm kind of grateful that I learned about the arguably greatest American scam that exists in broad daylight because it really was a masterclass in negotiation. Like some people pay five, ten thousand $10,000 for a class on precisely this, how to negotiate effectively. And you can just go to a dealership for free and do it anytime. And really, that might be the best way to negotiate for a car, which is when you don't want a car. You know, you've got people taking Toastmasters and other things for like public speaking practice, etc. I would just say if you want to get better at negotiation, which is generally useful for all of life, take a day and go to a dealership. I guarantee you, if you do that, you will never have any anxiety again about asking for an upgrade at a hotel during check-in. So kind of a win there. And there are a lot of things that we would have done differently. But hopefully after listening to this episode, you'll be able to. And uh, yeah, that's it, folks. Thanks for sticking with me for, for these past two episodes. Hopefully it was helpful or useful or at least interesting. And I'm going to update the list of strategies and maybe add some fuller descriptions on the site at thedailychurnpodcast.com. So the next time you go to a dealership, you can just review that list and, and get fully prepped and put yourself in the right mindset ahead of time. If you like this episode and want to get updated on when the next one comes out, be sure to sign up for the newsletter on the site as well. I also send out summaries of these episodes via email. Otherwise, I will catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening.